Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Personally, I think it would make more sense to fund need over race and we could find other ways to value... Indigeneity isn't race. How, how is it not? It's, no? it's peoples who pre-existed colonisation. You're going to have to explain. I'm sorry, I don't. There are blonde and blue-eyed indigenous people in yeah. the Arctic Circle. We're not in the Arctic it doesn't, Circle. It doesn't matter. This is the, this, this is, is a constitutional not a alteration race. for this Aboriginal is a question and Torres Strait whether, whether there were peoples who pre-existed colonisation by the British. Yeah. They were Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander yes, peoples. Yeah. And it's a recognition of yeah. that historical truth. That was simply bizarre. There are no words. Hello, I'm Lyle Shelton. It's great to have your company. A lot coming up, including trans-Tasman correspondent Bob McCroskery on the New Zealand elections, happening the same day as our voice referendum, and Kiralee Smith on some of the positive developments this week in the battle for the truth about gender. All that and more, don't touch that dial. But first, voice architects like Tom Calmer and Marcia Langton, who think the No campaign has tapped into a deep well of racism could not be further from the truth. The implicit condescending demonisation of their fellow Australians as racist is not just offensive, it is the primal scream from the death throes of the radical left's latest attempts to transform our nation in its own image. Mainstream Australians struggling with a cost of living crisis that has been caused largely by the political class's misguided net zero policies are repulsed because never have they felt more goodwill and affection towards Indigenous Australians. Voice architect Noel Pearson could not be more wrong when he says there is no plan B for Indigenous disadvantage if the voice referendum is lost. His vision of more power, only this time locked into the Constitution, this is more power for the Aboriginal industry which has already had a seat at the table for decades as billions of dollars have been thrown at failed schemes, has been rejected in favour of something more attractive. 
Jacinta Nampajimpa Price, the main face of the No campaign, has offered a vision of national unity between black and white, accountability for spending, and a focus on need and not race. This is a far more compelling, unifying vision, and it comes without rancor towards her fellow Australians. Now, while not denying the past, her relatives narrowly escaped the last massacre in the Northern Territory, Price acknowledges the benefits of colonialism and is honest about the negative aspects of Aboriginal culture, which are hurting women and children and which have nothing to do with colonialism. Now, this doesn't suit the narrative of the cultural left, which has wrongly diagnosed the problem of Indigenous disadvantage as intergenerational trauma caused by colonisation, and the radical left holds a romanticised view of Indigenous culture. It is, of course, a mistake to romanticise either colonisation or Indigenous culture, but the inconvenient truth that Price and her fellow No campaigner Warren Mundine point out is, of course, that scores of Indigenous people are doing very well. Opportunity abounds, unlike the lie at the heart of the latest Yes ad, which features a little boy saying only Yes will make it possible for him to have a bright future. Rodney Rivers, a proud Aboriginal man who grew up in the Kimberley of Western Australia, last week told me on ADH TV that when he was growing up in the 50s, there were opportunities that led him to good jobs in forestry and earth moving. His sons are today successful Indigenous men, one of whom is a medical researcher. The other lie is that The Voice is a modest proposal, as the Prime Minister Anthony Albanese and the Yes 23 campaign keep saying adding a new chapter in the Constitution to create a new institution on the same level as the Parliament and the judiciary is not modest. But the Yes campaign are not on the same page when it comes to this and they're confusing Australians and turning mainstream people against the voice. For instance, voice proponents Megan Davis and George Williams, of course Williams is a constitutional lawyer, so Davis and Williams say this, they say the voice to Parliament is a structural reform. It is to change, uh, it is a change to the structure of Australia's public institutions and would redistribute power, would just, sorry, redistribute public power via the Constitution, Australia's highest law. Now, there's nothing modest about that, but we're told to vote on the vibe. Now, the solution to disadvantage offered by Price and Mundine is one that transcends race and focuses on need. Dysfunction is not a function of racism, but of abuse, neglect and geography, Price and Mundine say. But those pushing the voice reject this and say dysfunction is a result of intergenerational trauma caused by colonisation and the latent racism of Australians. They continue to claim sovereignty and want this recognised, creating a nation within a nation. Now, since the dawn of time, people groups have moved across the surface of planet Earth. This is something Price and Mundine recognise as they promote a vision of national unity which includes everyone, whether they have been here for 60,000 years or for six months. No wonder our migrant communities are repulsed by the race-based politics of The Voice. Our status as Australians in the rulebook of the nation should not depend on who got here when. Equality under the law, regardless of race, is what has made Australia and other Western nations great.
A great nation has been forged on this continent. A yes vote entrenches the supposed illegitimacy of Australia and the perpetuation of Indigenous victimhood motivated by desire for revenge. In contrast, a no vote unites us all around a common humanity and the deep reservoir of goodwill towards Indigenous people that yearns to find ways that work to help those in need. So I wasn't encouraged to explore my feelings um, and to discover where my distress came from. Um, and I was fast-tracked on the hormones. So if somebody had said to me, what are you feeling, why are you feeling it, where do you think it's coming from, I wouldn't have transitioned because then I would have realised that it was coming from trauma from my childhood. Um, Mel, crossing back to you, I was wondering if you would um, give us your reflections on your... I know there's some doctors in the room, you're not going to offend anyone, but um, listen, I don't have nice words in my I'm coming for you. Um, uh, <laughs> um, I actually, like, uh, I guess the thing that Spotlight kind of demonstrated is, like, obviously that I went topless and you could see, uh, like, myself, arm scars, effects of testosterone, like, my body dysmorphic slash eating disorder stuff, because I'm gaining a lot of weight to try and, like, regulate the distress that I feel from uh, existing. But um, I think the thing that doesn't really get spoken about is the emotional scars, so it's like... Transgender advice causing harm to children. That was the headline generated in this week's Australian. Slowly, truth is outing. That headline was because of a meeting of victims of LGBTIQA plus ideology, medical experts, legal academics and concerned politicians, which occurred at the Victorian Parliament House this week. The group is calling for an urgent inquiry into Victoria's so-called conversion therapy laws, which passed with the support of the Liberal Party and were Liberal Party policy at the last election. Of course, they were brought in under Victorian Premier, former Victorian Premier Dan Andrews. Now, Bernie Finn, who was later expelled from the Liberal Party because of his pro-life and pro-family views, was one of only a handful of Liberals to vote against those laws. He has now joined Family First and is the party's lead Senate candidate for Victoria at the upcoming federal election. Now, Family First believes the laws which ban victim-requested prayer and jail parents, doctors and counsellors who advise children against irreversible gender conversion therapies should be completely overhauled and the gender clinic should be closed. Those of us involved in the Family First Party have been among those who for many years have been sounding the warnings and calling for action to protect children. Sadly, Liberal and Labor politicians beholden to LGBTIQA plus political ideology have been blind and have run a protection racket for the LGBTIQA plus child gender clinics operating out of the major children's hospitals in this nation. With children and young people being chemically castrated and physically mutilated by experimental gender conversion therapies, what has been occurring under the cloak of the rainbow flag is a scandal. It's one thing for politicians and the media to ignore what they perceived as fringe activists like Family First and other lobby groups on what they see as the hard right of politics. 
It's another thing to ignore the growing number of dissenting clinicians who are courageously speaking out. It's even harder to ignore those damaged people, now known as detransitioners. The confronting headline in The Australian was because of the Parliament House gathering, which included detransitioners Jay Langadinus and Mel Jeffries, who you saw at the start. Two women who had their breasts surgically removed so they could identify as men, and now they regret it. Langadinus is suing her psychiatrist, Dr. Patrick Tui, in the New South Wales Supreme Court, claiming Tui failed to take precautions to avoid risk of harm in the nature of loss of her breasts, uterus, fallopian tubes, and ovaries, end quote. Jeffries, who had been sexually abused as a child and just wanted to fit in, courageously spoke to the recent Channel 7 Spotlight program about how she was lured into thinking she could change her gender. Apart from reporting by the Australian newspaper, Spotlight was among the first serious mainstream investigations into the unfolding scandal occurring because of LGBTIQA plus ideology. Sadly, politicians have been silent about the Spotlight program since it aired just a month or two ago. Among the clinicians speaking out, there's probably none braver than Queensland uh, Children's Hospital child psychiatrist, Dr Gillian Spencer, who was stood down from a job she loved because she questioned using irreversible therapies on children such as puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones and surgery. Dr Spencer told the meeting, uh, and I quote, the research studies indicate that treatment with puberty blockers does not lead to improvements in mood or psychosocial functioning or in the symptoms of gender dysphoria. There is no evidence they reduce the risk of suicide. She went on to say that treatment with cross-sex hormone led to, quote, lifelong implications of infertility, impaired sexual function and irreversible changes to the body, as well as physical health side effects, consequences and risks. The affirmation model undermines the parent-child relationship and the entire structure of the family by putting the parents in a weak and frightened position. This is because the gender clinicians provide false information to parents that without gender-affirming care, their child will likely die by suicide, end quote. Now, in 2016, when I appeared on the ABC's Q&A program, I cited Swedish research which showed the suicide rate among people who had had sex chain surgery was 20 times higher than the non-transgendered population. I was fact-checked and found to be correct. Now, sadly, parents of gender-confused children are, are never told this. This week's meeting at the Victorian Parliament is a welcome forum and more like this are necessary. But the information presented was not new. The damage being done to children and young people by LGBTIQ ideology and the protection of it by politicians and the media is a scandal. Family First is working to raise women and men who will stand for Parliament around the nation and courageously advocate for the truth. While ever Liberal and Labor back so-called conversion therapy laws and so many other woke ideas which are harming the economic and social fabric of our nation, raising this political movement will be necessary.
Well, joining me now, as usual, is Kiralee Smith, spokeswoman for Binary Australia, an important advocacy group protecting children and women from the radical LGBTIQA plus political movement. Kiralee, um, how significant was the meeting held at Victoria's Parliament House this week? Yeah, very significant. And well done to uh, David Limbrick and to Bev MacArthur, yeah. who hosted that event, um, the Liberal Democrats, or they're called the Libertarians now, I think. That's right. Um, and Bev uh, with the Coalition, both wonderful politicians who stand up for freedom and for women uh, and girls' sex-based rights. And they've invited medical practitioners, detransitioners and others to a forum that was held at the Victorian Parliament House um, and the media did come and report somewhat on it. So uh, so good to hear them giving a voice to the detransitioners who have the most horrifying stories of uh, not having their actual medical needs addressed and put on these pathways of uh, lies, basically, being told that if they change their sex or their appearance that they will, uh, you know, no longer suffer depression or uh, yeah. the, the issues that lead them there in the first place, and it's just outright lies. That's right. We And we showed some um, footage of Jay Langadinas and Mel Jeffrey at the at the earlier part of the show, um, quite heart-rending, but uh, very significant that this happened in the parliament um, and uh, this group of politicians, which, as you say, included David Limbrick and um, Bev MacArthur and Moira Deeming was there as well, of course. Um, they're calling for an urgent inquiry into Victoria's so-called gay conversion therapy laws. Now, um, you know, there's been no action since the Spotlight program happened, but uh, suddenly things are starting to move and this is a positive thing, isn't it? Oh, yeah, very much so. And, you know, Dr Gillian Spencer also addressed the yes. forum that evening and she's a senior psychiatrist in Brisbane who has been stood down from her position for questioning uh, how effective puberty blockers are and highlighting the fact that they are actually doing irreversible harm to children. And, uh, you know, that's that's just as the Queensland sex self-ID uh, laws came in. And uh, we're seeing this around the country, Lyle. Many, many people, many voices have been calling for an inquiry into these gender clinic practices and we are being ignored. So few politicians have the appetite or the courage to do the right thing. They're bowing their knee to, you know, these activists who it's not based on medicine, it's not based on science and it's not based on the best care for mm. particularly children. Uh, it's all based on wanting to avoid uh, these activists, these lobby groups. And so it is time that, um, that these politicians took a stand what are they afraid of? Why not have the inquiry? What yeah. are they? What do they know they're going to find? We know what they're going to find, and it's about time that they did their jobs and uh, looked after and protected and safeguarded the children of Australia. Yeah, that's right. It's a scandal of the highest order. We've already seen one uh, attempted to, uh, to have an inquiry at a federal level shut down. Pauline Hanson put up a motion that was voted down by Liberal and Labor people. Uh, let's hope this Victorian attempt uh, gets legs. But uh, clearly, one part of the world where conservative politicians are starting to find their voice on this issue is in the UK and the, the Conservative uh, Party conference uh, under the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak was held in Manchester this week. Uh, some pretty amazing declarations uh, came out of that. Tell us about what happened. Yeah, and look, and that comes on the back of the UK understanding that puberty blockers are not really good for children yeah. and, and putting a pause on those things, as have other countries. Mm. Australia's yet to follow. But at that conference, um, you know, there were politicians that made the outrageous claims that women 
should have their own language to define who they are and healthcare spaces. Like it's so radical, isn't it, to think that females deserve female-specific healthcare, uh, that we don't need to be called birthing parents. We are mothers, that uh, we have a cervix, we have a uterus, and that is unique to females and that women should have those designated places in hospitals and the language in healthcare to describe accurately and scientifically our health issues. And, I mean, it's been met, of course, by the media as, you know, bigoted and transphobic and all the rest of it. Other groups have come out and said, you know, trans women and trans men are going to be discriminated against, and it's simply not the case, Lyle. Mm. Adults can identify however they please, but our bodies, our physiological reality match and doctors, healthcare professionals need accurate language and uh, the ability to treat women uh, with dignity, with privacy, with respect and with accuracy when it comes to these issues. Yeah, I thought it was really fascinating, Kiralee, because here's the Conservative Party, their showpiece conference um, ahead of the next next year's general election. And and um, I don't think it's because Rishi Sunak and his health secretary, who's now saying he's going to ban men identifying as women being in hospital wards through the National Health Service, the, the famous NHS, uh, keeping that, you know, free from males identifying as women. Uh, th- these are pretty amazing comments for politicians. But I think they know that uh, they don't have Brexit this time to appeal to the working class, but they know that the working class that they won in the Brexit election uh, don't agree with the idea of men dressing up in dresses and pretending to be women. Absolutely. Uh, You know, it's not rocket science. It's biology 101. It is now impacting and affecting so many people's lives on a daily basis, whether it's in change rooms, sporting events, uh, you know, being forced to lie on your pronouns or whatever it is. Um, It's just, it's gone beyond the ridiculous now. And uh, the average citizen, whether it's in the UK or Australia, has had a gutful, uh, just wants to get on with their life and doesn't doesn't want all of this imposed on them uh, every single day. And so smart politicians will wake up and realise this is where the votes are and this is where the numbers are. Well, well, clearly the UK Conservatives have uh, taken that view because otherwise they wouldn't have put it front and centre at their conference. Um, We're yet to see this happen in Australia. And of course, we had Scott Morrison at the last election uh, saying that he wouldn't introduce bills to protect girls and women's sports. So uh, the Liberal Party here has got a long way to go. Um, Some other good news this week, uh, Kiralee, was uh, World Aquatics, uh, their plans to uh, provide an open category for transgender athletes. So they said no to having uh, males like Leah Thomas competing with uh, females, as we saw last year. But uh, at the Berlin World Cup, uh, what happened there when they tried to bring in an open category for transgender athletes? Yeah, they had to cancel it because <laughs> they had nobody register, which, you know, surprise, you have surprise. to laugh. <laughs> Absolutely have to laugh. And it's great. It really proves the point that these males who appropriate female stereotypes, and let's be clear, that's all they're doing is appropriating what they think it is to be a woman. Uh, You know, first of all, they can compete in the male category. Now they've been given an open category and they've rejected both of those because they want to dominate women in women's spaces, whether it's in the change room or in the pool or on the sporting field. And it just exposes and highlights uh, the insidious nature of this ideology that uh, 
No one's saying these people cannot participate in sport. That People are bending over backwards to be inclusive and to give inclusive uh, measures and categories for these people and they're rejecting it outright. So uh, good on World Swimming uh, for creating that category. They said they're going to have another go in the over 35s category, I believe. But this is what all sporting bodies should be doing, especially yeah. here in Australia where sport is our almost national religion. Um, it's time to stop penalising women like myself who uh, speak out about this and for all the girls to be able to have a say it's not unreasonable for females to want and need a female only sporting competition that's why we have male and female sporting competitions in the first place Uh, absolutely Kiralee and you know maybe football australia which has been persecuting you and uh, you've been taken to court for saying that men should be playing uh, female soccer maybe they could take a leaf out of the world aquatics and uh, perhaps create a league for transgender soccer players. But uh, I think they have the same result as world aquatics. Uh, Kiralee, that's uh, three good news pieces this week. Uh, the Victorian Parliament uh, discussing this and calling for an inquiry, uh, world aquatics and, of course, the UK Conservatives. I think we're on the winning side, aren't we? Oh, look, I really hope so, Lyle. And, uh, you know, we'll just keep um, chipping away at this. It's mind-boggling that in 2023 we have to fight so hard for sex-based realities. But uh, I'm not giving up, you're not giving up, and there's many more people joining us every single day. Good stuff, Kiralee. Well, thanks again for your time, and uh, we'll look forward to chatting again next week. Thanks, Lyle. Well, the same day Australians cast their vote in the voice referendum, our friends across the Tasman will vote in their general election. Jacinda Ardern swept Labor to power in 2017 and has run arguably one of the most radical left-wing governments in New Zealand's history. Saying she was worn out, Ardern handed over to Chris Hipkins with less than a year before the election, and he is up against the Nationals' Christopher Luxon, a former Air New Zealand CEO. Joining me now to discuss the election is our trans-Tasman correspondent, Bob McCroskey from Family First New Zealand. I should add that Bob is trans-Tasman, not transgender, in case anyone was wondering. Bob, welcome to the program. (laughs) I'm glad you clarified that, uh, Lyle. Thanks for that. You can never be too sure these days. Uh, Bob, what's at stake for New Zealand on October 14? Well, I guess the uh, debate is, do you keep the country going in the direction uh, we've been going for the last six years, which is a very radical leftist approach where we've got huge problems economically, health-wise, education-wise, crime is out of control, uh, and there's a lot of white politics going on, including radical sexuality and gender ideology, not only in schools targeted at our kids, but also in the public service, and it's it's rife everywhere. Or do we go for a change of government and uh, bring in, I would say, a less woke uh, centre-right party of National and uh, the ACT party, but... You know, I I think what people need to understand is that our parliament as a whole has shifted radically to the left. And so while we've got a difference between fiscal conservatives and uh, on the left and fiscal conservatives on the right, in terms of social conservatives, you can count them almost on one hand in our current parliament. And the proof of that was when a recent bill went through parliament to change birth certificates, to being able to identify as you wanted on your gender. So it's not based on biological sex. You can just change it to the opposite sex. Um, The parliament passed it unanimously 
including the centre-right parties. Mm. So we desperately need some social conservative politicians in Parliament, and I think that's what voters are looking for within some of the mainstream parties, but also in some of the minor parties. Okay, so so that's interesting. So what you're saying is that whoever wins on the 14th, uh, it's probably not going to be much of a change in terms of the woke direction the nation is going. You, you mentioned perhaps less woke if uh, Christopher Luxon and the Nationals win. Um, I was interested, Bob, you recently had uh, Winston Peters uh, on your Straight Talk program. Now, tell us about Winston Peters. He's sort of been a, a bit of a, a kingmaker type figure uh, in New Zealand politics, been around for a long time. He could play a critical role again in this election. Oh, he's a career politician. I mean, he's been in since the mid-70s uh, and then he left the National Party, the centre-right party, and formed his own party, New Zealand First. Uh, if I was to compare it, if for your Australian audience, if I was to compare it, I'd say it's a little bit like One Nation. You know, it's very much focused on New Zealand First, literally, as the party is named. Uh, and he was in the position to go into coalition with as far back as Jim Bolger in the National Party. Uh, and then he fell out with Je Jenny Shipley, who replaced Jim Bolger, which was the national government. And then he, surprisingly to everybody in 2017, didn't go with the National Party again, Bill English's uh, National Party, which had won the election in terms of numbers. He went with Jacinda Ardern, and I think a lot of people haven't forgiven him for that. But he's in the same place six years later. Um, he was voted out three years ago, I think, as punishment for going with Jacinda. Uh, but he uh, is in the same position where he could be the kingmaker once again. Yeah, and it's interesting, Bob, you mentioned that he's a bit like One Nation, but I, I couldn't imagine a circumstance mm -hmm. where a Pauline Hanson, you know, would support mm -hmm. um, a Julia Gillard, for instance. So um, mm -hmm. it, it sounds yeah. like he's the sort of guy who'll sort of blow with the wind a bit. Yeah, it was a really surprising decision and we asked him about that and he said, well, look, he went with Labor because uh, he he argues that National was about to implode. Uh, a lot of people struggled to believe that, but, you know, that was his argument. Uh, to be fair, for the, three, the first three years of Jacinda's reign, he actually um, held a few things in check. However, he didn't hold the radical abortion law that we have in check, even though he voted personally against it. Uh, and, and, but it's definitely been the last three years that have been the most radical, and that's because at, in 2020, Labor actually gained a majority. Now, in an MMP, uh, you know, a proportional representation system that we have, I mean, that was phenomenal, first time ever that a party has got more than 50%. So they had an absolute majority, and yet you know, the fundamental changes that we were promised just haven't happened. And so there's a lot of dissatisfaction. In fact, the Labor vote has crashed to about half. They've lost mm. half their voters from three years ago, which is unheard of. Uh, and people are trying to figure out where do they go. Now, the problem for social conservatives is do they go with National, who unfortunately uh, Christopher Luxon doesn't sort of give them huge confidence that he'll fight against the wokeness, or do they go with Winston Peters, who uh, makes all the right noises in terms of fighting wokeness uh, in schools and in politics and in government service, etc., has been very strong in that and always wins support? Or do they vote for these minor parties who unfortunately probably aren't going to get into parliament because they have to get 5% of the total vote under our mm. system or win an electorate seat? None of them are going to win an electorate seat, and most of them are polling around 1%. 
So, yeah, I wish we had the Australian system of single transferable voting so that if you're if you vote for these minor parties and they don't get in, then your vote gets transferred Doesn't. to your second choice. Yep. We don't have that. So we have a lot of wasted votes. That's interesting. So so the dilemma then for social conservatives is is to go with Winston Peters, who yeah, is, is obviously a pragmatist. Um, he was on your podcast yeah. saying the right things about the, the gender issues. Um, he also had some things to say about um, that, that perhaps Australians can take some lessons from to do with uh, Indigenous relations, Maori relations there. What, what did he have to say uh, in terms of how things like the treaty and, you know, co-governance and these sort of things that are, are happening in New Zealand? Well, the interesting thing is that he is Māori himself, and uh, so he's a little bit like Jacinda Price. He, uh, you know, he holds huge credibility in these issues, and rather than playing the victim card, they actually say that no uh, dividing and the division which comes with co-governance and the voice is not the answer. In fact, what we do need to do is unite as one people and target by need. And so that has always been his argument. And, you know, he's been hard to put down and call call, call him a racist because uh, he is Māori himself. So uh, that that's where his strength is. And he has always, I mean, he's always argued for unity amongst um, races. He doesn't like the division that's been caused. And, and I think that that does um, work a lot with his constituency. They like the fact that he's willing to speak up to... Uh, the division that a lot of people want to bring. So if he's rewarded um, with a seat back in, in the parliament and, and potentially in this kingmaker position, do you think his role could potentially strengthen the spines of, of your nationals? As, as you say, not one of them voted mm. against the gender ID laws, which is a terrible place for mm. a Conservative Party to be in to not even have anyone. I think, you know, at least mm. here in Australia, mm. if you had a vote, uh, you would have, you know, a number of Liberals standing up despite their drift to yeah. the woke left. Um, do you think Winston Peters and his return, likely return to the parliament, is that where the hope lies for New Zealand to begin to turn things around? Well, he's definitely an agitator and he's not scared. He uh, He's not scared to take on the media and call them out. In fact, the media hate him for that reason. And I think that's what actually wins Winston Peters a lot of support because he's willing to call out the media um, and especially their bias. So that's the first thing. Now, under our system, if New Zealand First gets uh, at least 5%, he will go into parliament with at least seven seats in our 120-seat parliament. Uh, he could get, you know, he might get up to 8 or 9% uh, because he's been constantly tracking up through this campaign. The more people hear him, uh, the interesting thing is that the more people like him. And uh, that's a problem for minor parties or when you're out of parliament, you don't get much oxygen. But he's getting huge oxygen at the moment. And, of course, the media don't like him, so they're talking about him and inadvertently giving him more oxygen. So, yeah. you know, he could be around 8 or 9%, which means he could take in 11 or 12 MPs. That would be a very strong lobby group uh, in parliament to push back and to raise some of the issues that we're wanting raised. And as I said, he's not... Uh, a confessed social conservative, but if you look at his voting record and when he answered our questionnaire for our Value Your Vote uh, voter guide, uh, he was scoring very well of all the major party leaders. Uh, he has traditionally been a conservative voter. He did support euthanasia, but that was only on the basis that it went to referendum. So he's a very big believer 
Uh, in fact, they've just released a policy saying they want to get rid of conscience votes and they want any conscience votes like gay marriage, um, anti-smacking law, euthanasia, abortion, drug decriminalisation to go to referendum. He says that we shouldn't entrust uh, temporarily voted in politicians to make these key crucial decisions on the social fabric of New Zealand. So that's going to win a lot of support as well. Mm. Uh, it's, that's fascinating, Bob. So so looking like what you're saying earlier, that uh, Labor's vote under Chris Hipkins has has pretty much tanked, um, a big yeah. swing towards uh, New Zealand first. Um, so you, you'd be predicting a, a change of government then on the basis of that? Well, I think, uh, I don't know if you've heard of the term hospital pass, um, but uh, Chris Hipkins was given a hospital pass by Jacinda Ardern. He inherited a government that was, uh, that after he took over, uh, there was a number of scandals involving senior MPs, including the Minister of Justice running from the police after getting caught drunk driving. I mean, you know, it was these types of scandals that was just, um, he, he inherited them and then uh, basically, he has been part of Jacinda Ardern's. I mean, he was mm. almost her uh, her right hand man. Um, you know, he was in the sort of top group. Yeah. So people are judging this government based on Jacinda Ardern, and I don't think he's been able to shake that. And as I said, the the vote has collapsed to half. I don't think he's winning them back. So yeah, if I was uh, a betting man, which I'm not, but I would predict change of government. The big question for us in a week is will National and the ACT Coalition need Winston Peters to get across the line? If they do, uh, grab your popcorn. Mm. Well, let's hope they do, Bob, and let's hope there is a critical mass of, you know, conservative-leaning, social conservative uh, MPs in your parliament after October 14. Uh, Bob McCoskery from Family mm. First New Zealand, thanks very much for your time today. Good to be with you, Lyle. Well, thanks for being with me today. Don't forget, if you are a Melburnian, get along to the March for the Babies on Saturday at 1pm at Treasury Gardens in Spring Street. Also, make sure you cast your vote for no to keep Australia unified and the love flowing between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. There is no deep-seated well of racism in this nation, as the voice proponents continually lecture us that there is. Now, keep up with the leading conservative voices right here on ADH TV, and you can follow me on Twitter at Lyle Shelton. Until next week, thanks for your company and keep speaking up.